This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Mitchell Walker, and when I'm not teaching people how to find hidden money, I'm out stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're talking frugality. Is it only for the rich? We'll ask our panel, featuring the co-host of the Choose FI podcast, Jonathan Mendonza. And also, from Afford Anything, Paula Pant. And rounding out our crack team, the most cracked one of them all from LenPenzo.com, Ron Gardenhire. I'm just kidding, it's Len Penzo. But that's not all. They'll also tackle a headline about children. Do kids with wealthy parents have it easier when learning about money? If so, how do you overcome any gap if you aren't a one percenter? We'll answer a bloom call for help from Curtis, take a question from the mailbag, and also... Hear about a hot new tool called Volio from CEO Thomas Beatty. Thinking about starting an investment club? He'll share with you how they're trying to make your job easier. And now, the guy who says every Friday is his favorite, but this one really is, Joe Salciha. This is my favorite Friday. Because you know what? I'm back here with you, and we're starting the weekend together. I'm Joe Salcihi, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and I can't wait to get to this, guys, because we do have a... Doug said it's a crack panel, and this time I don't think he's lying, even though Len Penzo might be lying about you. Yeah, what's going on with that intro? I know. I'm a, I'm Doug actually got it right. Fast. Right? It's like, what? I huh? think he means the panel's on crack. Yeah, man. And that is, I'm not going to say who the other voice is that you're hearing, but that's the voice from the desert near Las Vegas. The person I just saw in person, Paula Pant from Afford Anything. 
You did see me in person. You came out to Vegas and we went to a buffet and then we hit up the coolest escape room ever. Because when you go to Vegas, you got to go to a buffet, Len. That's what you got to do. You do. And then you got to go to the bathroom right after that. (laughs) (laughs) And then go back into the buffet and get more. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Go back in. But we have a very special guest today and I'm so happy because we should have had this guy in the podcast long before now, but he's finally here. And that makes the property values go up from the Choose FI podcast. It's our buddy, Jonathan. What's going on, man? Man, so excited to be here. And I did my first escape room last week. I've been wanting to do it for like five years, never pulled it off, did it this past week. Mind blown. Life will never be the same. And it's so I'm so happy Jonathan made it out. Otherwise, he wouldn't be on the show. I was going to say, congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) If he hadn't escaped, this would be a whole different show for us. Uh, But you know what makes this a great show, Jonathan? I have no idea. Tell me. <laughs> he's like, I, he's like, <laughs> I never. Either, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be here all week, folks. It's because support from this podcast comes from TurboTax Live, Jonathan. Duh. Oh, new man, from. I just finished mine on TurboTax. That is so timely. Uh, yeah, it's new from TurboTax. Now you can get a personal review of your tax return with a CPA or EA right on your screen. Talk live with a tax expert as often as you need to for tax advice and help. And that will make you file with confidence. Because, Len, you like to file with confidence, don't you? Confidence, yes. You, confidence is very important in everything you do. I like how you said that not confidently. <laughs> I concur. I have no idea why the hell I'm just picking on Len today either. Go to TurboTaxLive.com slash SB for more. It's TurboTaxLive.com slash SB. And we're brought to you by Magnify Money. You know, Jonathan, the average person who goes to Magnify Money saves 450 bucks when they go there. That's a bunch of money. Chills down my arm. How much FI do you buy with 450 bucks, Jonathan? It'll change your world. <laughs> it'll, it'll, the site that'll change. That's, a, that's our new tagline for Magnify Money. Nick from Magnify Money. There it is. Thanks. Uh, Jonathan drops the mic. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, whether it's for better savings accounts, checking accounts, credit cards, debt consolidation, whatever it might be. Magnify Money has the tools you use every day. Well, we've got all the tools here in one place. Nobody got that (laughs) phrase. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) We're ready to start the show, so let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Jonathan's sitting here thinking, when does it get better? It doesn't get better, Jonathan. (laughs) I refuse to learn anything. Refuse. Perfect. Well, then you'll fit in. Our first headline comes to us from theoutline.com. This piece is written by Miles Howard, and it's called Being Frugal is for the Rich. Paula, the piece starts off with the Frugal Woods made a name for themselves teaching millennials how to save money. Liz Thames from the Frugal Woods was on my show. She was on your show. Uh, Jonathan, has she been on Choose FI also? Yeah. We all know Liz. This kind of says that the Frugal Woods might be people living differently than you and I, Paula. This article is snarky and basically just wanted to have a reason to complain. Let's start Uh, off with let's start off with what they're saying, though. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Essentially, what the article is saying uh, is that people who emphasize frugality may be emphasizing the wrong thing because they're not disclosing how much they make. And in many cases, the amount that they make is significantly higher than what the average audience member might make. And so it uses the example of Liz writing about how 
painting your own cabinet or doing some like do-it-yourself home repair is a frugal move. And the article makes the point that for many people, they don't even have the option to outsource, even if they wanted to. And so for them, do-it-yourself home repair is not an issue of frugality. It's an issue of necessity. It does seem a little bit like, well, actually, before I get to that, Jonathan, you're right in the center of the FI movement. And you hear this all the, I've been hearing this stuff for seven years that, well, these bloggers out there talking about the fire movement, they're not living like the rest of us. Yeah. I mean, it really, this article presented a very false dichotomy. It was kind of painful to read. I mean, it was really, it was kind of, well, because the frugal woods probably made more than you do, then frugality and saving your money really isn't worth the effort and you shouldn't even try. It was kind of brutal the whole way through. In fact, it kind of listed examples. I think it threw uh, millennial money man under the bus because he had like $150,000 a month. That's amazing. But I know for a fact that he was a teacher earning $40,000 a year. He saved like 30 grand or a year's worth of expenses. And he left his job when his blog made $3, total of $3, and then built a business on the side. And so it kind of glossed over to the fact, oh, here's somebody that's really successful and makes a ton of money. And so this really isn't going to work for you because you're a millennial and you live in the hardest time ever to make money. So there's really no point in even trying because it's not going to work out for you. Yeah, that was just a really, really dark, depressing. Like, can you imagine just being in a room? I, I would try to go back to the escape room. I mean, that's what I would do <laughs> if, if this is who I was stuck with. Just worst table conversation ever. Well, and I, well, and I think part of that, do you think, though, Jonathan, part of that is that we know these people that he's talking about? Yeah, I mean, of course, I'm very defensive. I'm very sure. pro Liz and, and, and millennial money man. And I really like what they're doing. But I also think, you know, it's one thing for someone to walk around saying that, Everything's a problem, always identifying the problems, but no solutions. And I think just to cut off all the work that Liz has done for the last five years under the banner of, well, she made a really good income is just frankly ludicrous. I mean, I think it's a skill set in life to figure out what teachable aspects you can take from someone's message and apply to yourself. And then whatever doesn't apply, just move on and then basically build a knowledge base, not just from one individual, but from all sorts of people that have figured something out, take what works for you and incorporate that into your life. And this article, yeah, it was a straw man. Len, you've been a blogger longer than anybody here. You've got stacks of awards for the lenpenzo.com blog. You look at something like this. I'm sure you've had this leveled at you that, yeah, a lot of this stuff is cool for rich guys to think about, but for the rest of us, it doesn't really matter. Well, you know, everybody can benefit from frugality. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a choice and it's not bad. It's not good. I, you know, I thought this was kind of a I was reading this article too, and I'm like, "What? What is the point of this article?" It sounded a little like sour grapes or something. I mean, okay, the frugal woods have an income, but they make great points on how to be frugal. There's nothing wrong with that. I think the only mistake that might come through for some people just don't make the mistake that no, you're going to get wealthy through frugality because that's you'll never get wealthy by cutting, you know, cutting expenses. The only way to true wealth is to go off and work and make income and, you know, do it that way. So that, I think that's the only thing that you, a cautionary tale I could give. Just don't make that mistake. But other than that, like I said, I thought this was sour grapes too. I didn't really understand where it was coming from. I thought, I think the frugal woods make great points. So I think there's also a mistake though, Paula, that the author kind of points out and tell me if this is true or not, that sometimes we think that, but well, because the frugal woods are doing it this way, that we should do it exactly the same way. Well, I think 
that the author of the article really just wanted something to complain about. I mean, the article did not describe Liz's backstory. Liz was an AmeriCorps volunteer. Liz from Frugal Woods was an AmeriCorps volunteer who earned $10,000 per year plus food stamps uh, in her first year out of college. They skipped over that. And in the year that she was making that, she still saved $2,000. On an income of $10,000, she saved $2,000. So if they're complaining that people cannot save because they don't make enough, I think that they're missing an opportunity to learn from all of these bloggers. And, And Joe, to your point, to your specific question, no, you don't have to exactly follow somebody's script. But you can take lessons from them. You know, not everybody is going to be making only $10,000. A lot of people make more than ten k a year. But you can certainly take some of the habits that Liz had during that year that she made 10000 and use it to figure out how to save more money in your own life. Do you think, Jonathan, that the author is saying, listen, these people say that they're one thing and they're really not what they're saying that they are? You know, it felt like a hit piece. That's just kind of what it felt like. I don't it's even funny know. That it you, kind of, it it's actually funny these- that you say that because somebody in our Facebook group at Stacky Benjamin said that a lot of this stuff, Helene Olin, who I think you guys know, in Pound Foolish said a lot of these things, but really said it more succinctly and not quite so nasty. Like the thing that, that we shouldn't be comparing ourselves, Helene says we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to bloggers and that people do come from different spots, but it didn't seem like she was... It didn't feel like she was trying to take down the blogging community single-handedly. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to push back on was this was truly the best example I have of the internet retirement police, like trying to tell you whether or not you're truly retired. And and basically the the single line that they said in this particular article was that they're not even really retired in the traditional sense and that Nate works at home. And the part of that that really strikes me is that, of course, it's not a traditional retirement. They're done in their 30s. This isn't like 65 years old where you go off into the sunset and you wait to die. This is an individual that has achieved a level of wealth, enough of a level of wealth in the best years of their life. And that person is not going to go sit on the couch and watch Grey's Anatomy reruns. It's just simply not going to happen. It's what am I going to build next? And the cool thing about this framework of approaching personal finance is that you have the option to do what you love, whatever that is. And if it's finding your dream job and setting that up and that allows you to work from home, that is amazing. That's not something to invalidate the story. I hope we can all get to the point where we can do the work we want to do for the fact that we love doing the work, not because we're trying to figure out how to keep our lights on. If there's anything that bothers me at all about fire, it isn't fire itself and fire writers. It's people reading fire pieces, Len, where they're looking for this magic thing where they're going to sit like they're looking to get away from whatever their hellish life is today toward this utopia. And we find out that the frugal woods might still be making some money. It's like this, this utopia that they thought that has never been something that's presented that they present it like it's a lie when it really isn't what you want in the first place. You know what it's like? It's like reality TV. I mean, reality TV is not reality either, right? There's some scripting in there and there's some, there's, you're not getting the whole story sometimes and things are kind of not quite as they seem. I mean, the stuff's going on, but, but yeah, so you just got to remember you, you can't, uh, you just can't take this stuff literally. And just, uh, like I said, I think the most important part out of this whole piece is don't make the mistake of thinking, Hey, I can just frugal myself to wealth. I think that's the main, the main point I would take out of all this stuff. Like if there's, if you're, like if there's that, you're, gonna you're saying if out. there's any positive at all, it's that you can't shrink your way to greatness. 
You cannot shrink your way. That's right. You can't shrink your way to greatness. That is correct. Yeah. It is so frustrating to me. I feel like a lot of people want this thing that is, uh, I want to get away from something instead of moving to something. And Jonathan, to your point, it's about moving to something, not moving from something. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And what you find in many cases is what lights you up has nothing to do with the four years you spent in undergrad or the four years you spent in postgrad or the, you know, the, the small amount of time that you spent in a specific profession. But I think that's why the journey, the process is so valuable. Like I hate the idea of removing yourself from anything that you enjoy and just keeping so tunnel visioned on this final goal that you forget to figure out what actually does light you up, what makes the journey more fun. And you know, hopefully at some point along the way, you can start to line those two things up and you can monetize something that you're incredibly passionate about. And I think that's for me, one of the reasons that the idea of a side hustle, uh, is so appealing, not that you have to find the perfect thing, not that you have to experience the level of success that millennial money man obviously had in the month of January, but just the fact that you're willing to put yourself out there is going to get you closer to a framework that lights you up for this period of time that we're talking about. Personally, I like Jonathan's original uh, description of what us older retired people or people planning to retire is just hang around and wait to die. That's that's basically <laughs> that's resonating with me, Jonathan. Uh, don't, don't, for, don't forget, you can also watch Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> I've carved out two things for you. <laughs> Len waits to record Stacky Benjamin shows, write a few things, watch Grey's Anatomy. That's about there it. I'm waiting for the Prince Harry, Meghan Markle wedding. That's what I'm waiting for. Every day I'm just counting down. I think it's a good place to leave that, guys. Our second piece comes to us from the Moneyish blog, where we get a lot of a lot of pieces. This is written by Reed Alexander. This I found was interesting, guys, and I wanted to see what you thought about this. Why wealthy kids feel more in control of their lives. Wealthier parents talk to their kids about school more often, have more books at home, and are more likely to pay for private school, says a recent study. Kids from wealthier families feel more in control of their lives, according to a Portland State University study recently released in the journal Society and Mental Health. Sociology professor Dara Schifterer, who authored the research, wanted to know how influential parents' wealth is on kids' perceived, quote, locus of control, or how much they believe they can determine how events in their lives turn out, and found that the more money the family earns, the more kids feel like they have a say over their futures. First of all, let's talk about the premise of this piece. Paula, you're the person that reads everything and questions the premise. What do you think? Wealthy kids more in control? The way that this piece is written is newsflash, being rich is, broadly speaking, more advantageous than being poor. Duh, Sherlock. What the article did very well is that they linked to a different article published in Psychology Today that talked about the pressures that more affluent kids face and how those pressures, the pressure to succeed, the pressure to get into an Ivy League college, often result in those kids having high levels of anxiety and depression and feelings of inadequacy um, starting as early as the seventh grade. So they talk about how being rich isn't all sports cars and bubblegum. It's also, in some families, in many families, it, it correlates with a significantly higher amount of pressure that can really rob a person of their childhood. But back to the top of this, Len, it says that wealthier parents talk to their kids about school more often, have more books at home. Those things, do those create the pressure that Paula is citing from the study? Maybe. Uh, you know, I I, I kind of question some of these assumptions. I mean, I don't know if the study, if all of that is necessarily true. 
And the thing is, what about these families that start off? I'll, I'll use myself, for example. I wasn't rich. You know, I didn't grow up in a, in a wealthy family. And then even when I had my kids, you know, our kids were young, we were living an existence of beans and rice for dinner. And, you know, we were just struggling to, to make make ends meet, really. And so but now over time, I've, you know, got a lot more breathing room and financially we're, we're free. And and so my kids have kind of experienced the whole spectrum of this from less privileged to more privileged. So I, I don't know how you make these general uh, assumptions from poor to rich. I'm, so, I'm just sure, by the way, if it was published in the Journal Society of Mental Health, I, I, <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the studies, the study is perfect. I'm just going to say it was done with some scientific controls. They had some, and I didn't dig into the exact research that they did, but you, but you'd think that there was some scientific method at work here. But, okay. Well, given that, well, we'll given that, sure. I can but don't you think that wealthy kids, that parents will put more pressure on their kids, especially academically. Right. But I guess that's my question though, Len, is it, is it bridging that gap? You weren't wealthy. And how did you bridge that gap then with your kids, uh, talking to your kids about school more often, having books at home, more likely to pay for private school? How do you bridge that gap when you're working full time trying to make sure that you're making ends meet and at the same time making sure that your kids are going to do well themselves? Well, what you do is you talk to them and you talk about you talk about money, you talk about expectations, you talk about uh, what makes you know a success in in running your lives and 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 managing your money and you just talk a lot and I will say this these dinner table conversations with your kids that is the most important thing that you can do and you don't have to be wealthy or poor at all that that should make no difference you can have all these conversations at the dinner table with your kids over time and I think that's how you you bridge the gap between rich and poor there but there's families Jonathan where mom and dad are working two jobs. Don't get to see the kid that much, right? I mean, you look at the disparity in wealth and in income, and there's families that don't have the privilege of even having what Len's talking about, having that dinner table conversation. Yeah, I mean, so I think there's one, just what does this mean demographically for our country? But then two, what does it mean for the audience that's listening to this conversation? And what I think is very cool about reading something like this is this article is speaking very clearly about this idea of a fulcrum and how it can go either way. And it kind of gives you a framework to consider when, when talking to your kids about money. I mean, on the one end, clearly them knowing that you have some level of financial security, that you have a overarching plan for your life, that's going to give them some amount of just feeling a sense of agency, a, a sense of control over their own destiny. But the article clearly points to how it can go too far. And you see this chronic use of opioids in these wealthy kids. Like what a tragedy when you've been given every advantage and you're blowing all your free time on this sort of thing. So I think this article, what it really does as a service is it kind of says, hey, it's not enough to be wealthy. It's these money talks conversations that are so critical and talking about, you know, this intentional lifestyle and talking about having a game plan and realizing that you do have control over your own destiny. Don't, don't waste it. You don't have to be in the double comma club for this to apply to your kids. It just needs to be consistent conversations, maybe showing them how the rule of 72 works, maybe doing the bank of dad or mom, where when they put some money into an account, maybe you match it to some varying degree. It just comes up over time in natural conversations. So like, and I'm saying this, I have a, um, I have a one-year-old. So this is, I, I, I can only speak to this from the perspective of what I think I want to do, not what I have done. But it seems to me this article paints a picture that it's critical that you have these conversations and depending on whether or not you get it right, the difference is yeah. 
because assuming you're, I mean, your audience, if they're implementing the ideas that you're talking about, even if they're not learning anything, <laughs> we don't talk about ideas. We don't again, talk about ideas. Are getting better, right? I mean, it just it's inevitable that over time you start making better choices because they're listening to you day in and day out. So if your kids now are set up for better opportunities than they were, just don't waste it. What a tragedy to have kids that go off the reserve and, and fall susceptible to this stuff. Paula, your nerdery, awesome nerdaliciousness, is that the phrase? Uh, when you were a kid growing up is amazing. Is that because of background? Is that because of the way your parents talk to you? Is it because of wealth? Is it because of like, how did you, how did you decide to have the type of education that you had and how much of that came from parents? Mm. So are you referring to specifically my financial interest that I had from a young, as (laughs) starting from the time I was a young child? Yeah. Yeah. Like other people are, are learning what's going on in pop culture. And as we've already proven over and over (laughs) and over, you have no clue. But I have no clue. But she knows who Markle and Prince Harry are. That's That's true. That is true. She's got that part. But if you ask her about Robert Kiyosaki, like she knew about Robert Kiyosaki, she probably had a Robert Kiyosaki like a bumper sticker on her banana seat <laughs> you know on who her the bike. Dad is. Who's the <laughs> it is not the highly educated dad. Ta da! Uh, Joe, to answer your question, so we never talked about money in my household, you and didn't. we were an immigrant family. Right. In the beginning years, in particular, we had nothing. Um, not even the family support or social support that comes from having anybody else in the US. We were also were not an English speaking household. When I started daycare, I didn't know a word of English. So there was a lot of catch up happening. And I think that my interest in money was twofold. My parents were very responsible. So even though they started with very little, they did not have wealth, but they had the habits of the type of people who would be successful. And so what I mean by that is that even though they came to the United States with nothing and they started with nothing, they were very diligent about budgeting. They managed their money carefully. My mom was a big time couponer. She had a garden where she grew all of our own food. So my mom was very frugal and my dad would read books about retirement planning. And remember, he came to the United States in his 40s. So starting at the age of 40, he had to first get his first car, get his first apartment, raise a daughter and start his first job and then plan for retirement. You know, so he had to compress an entire life into a 20 year time span. And they did it, but the way that they did it was by being extremely diligent. We never went to restaurants. We never took vacations other than to go back to Nepal to visit our family. I guess to answer your question, the advantage did not come from money. It came from habit, the observation of behaviors. Len's kids learn from him too. They're out in the back of their apartments right now, digging a hole and digging it deep. (laughs) So they can have their own Len Penzo bunker, both both the Len's kids. Learning to dig that hole. Now, I think that the uh, we've dug a hole on both of these pieces. Let's talk about <laughs> takeaways. Len, let's start with you, actually. Takeaways from these two pieces. Wealthy kids feel more uh, empowered when it comes to their lives. And uh, being frugal, is it just for the rich? Okay. I think I've said this like three times already, but uh, you'll never get rich by being frugal. Talk to your kids every opportunity you can, and uh, they listen, especially when they're young, and uh, you can... Believe me, it it doesn't matter on wealth. Talking is free. Takeaways, Paula? I would say 
if you are a blogger, be prepared for people to do a hack job on you and not understand you at all and know that you do not need the validation of a bunch of small-minded people on the internet because people are either going to get it or they're not. And the only people who matter are the ones who get it or the ones who want to get it. Takeaway from the other article is that uh, is to pay attention to action rather than outcome because you might have a lot of pressure put on you that relates to outcomes, whether that's getting into the best college or achieving a certain level of wealth. And those pressures in excess are enough to make you crumble. Those pressures in excess can produce depression and anxiety. But if you let go of outcome and just focus on your day-to-day actions, then you'll find that those pressures subside. So that, that would be my takeaway from the second article. Jonathan, bad news and good news. The bad news is you got to follow that. The good news is you're the guest, so you get the last word. I don't have to follow that. I want to want to move it around. Post editing. Post editing. You can do this. So I guess for me, for the first article, I'm going to go ahead and challenge Len a little bit on the can you get rich by being frugal? I don't know. I just, I mean, I feel like as a blanket statement, that's a little bit tough. Obviously, if you make twenty thousand dollars a year. Saving 50% of your income isn't going to go very far, but if you are making 50 to $100,000 and you can do that consistently, and I only say this because I know people that have done it, like millionaire educator, yeah, it's a very simple equation. It's you have, you can either focus on the income or you can focus on the expenses. You got to grow the gap. I mean, it, it, I get that, but I don't think that you can just throw that out completely. There are so many people that are earning great incomes already. They don't need to do anything about their income. They just need to have the light bulb go on and realize, wow, if I move my savings rate up past the 4% match, I, you know, and, and push it up to 10, 15, 20, 50%. And I know people that have literally done that overnight then yeah, this game basically takes care of itself in 10 to 15 years. And so I guess then you're asking yourself, well, what is your definition of rich? But I think there is a point at which you get to enough. And I think it's a long ways before rich. I think it's still though, I knew that was going to be the last word and it, and it can't be because I want to, I want to push back again because I don't think that is the last word. I think, I think to some degree it is an income. You set me up. You said I had the last <laughs> oh, word. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that sometimes it is an income problem. And I think that, well, of course, of course it is. But, but I mean, you know, if you make a blanket statement, you got to go the other way too. Yeah. Yeah. But I think of the, I see far more people pinching 30 cents when it would be easier to make $2. Exactly. Um, yep. And I don't see enough people pursuing that one, but I hear what you're saying, Jonathan. But if you're going to do one, cut the expenses first, then grow the income. It's I, just more effective. You get a hundred percent of every penny you save. My favorite part of what you're talking about is growing the gap. Grow the gap, baby. Mm-hmm. Grow, the Grow the gap. Grow the gap. Amen. Remember, Frugal Woods used to make $10,000 a year. And if she continued to only make $10,000 a year, she would not be in the position she is now. So even the people who talk a lot about frugality, I mean, Frugal Woods, it's in the name. They still have the behavior of also increasing their income. And we always find out. feel like the last word. This does not feel like the last word. As usual, Jonathan, Paula gets the last word. <laughs> On the way down to the basement is Thomas Beatty. He's the CEO of Volio, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But Len, have you ever been part of an investment club? I never have. Jonathan, part of an investment club? Vanguard. No, but where you're picking stocks together. Yeah, everybody throws a bunch of money in, and then you pick stocks together and you make stock. Paula, have you been a part of an investment club? Not a club, but there was once a group of about a dozen bloggers who all... uh, 
threw like 500 bucks into some portfolio and then we challenged each other for a year to see who would no, do best. No, I was in that thing and it wasn't even our money. And I went out in flames. Yeah, I, did that. I did that too. And it was- <laughs> okay, so I guess I'd be in an investment club with the two of you. Yes. <laughs> is the answer to that question. Yeah, and that's why we've I all... one with Joe and Len. That's why... Opt in for Bitcoin. It's easier, when it's, not your, it's easier when you don't have a stake in it. You can just go throw do these flyers and hope you win. Yes. Well, Thomas Beattie doesn't do that. And by the way, we don't endorse any of the fintech uh, founders that we invite down here, fintech CEOs. <laughs> But I will say we bring on people. No, either. <laughs> we bring on people with companies that we think are interesting, and this is really cool. That uh, Volio is a new way to invest that uses the wisdom of crowds, and it helps investors make better decisions of stock purchases. Basically, what happens is you take that investment club, you go online, and it makes it easier to run your investment club, and people make investment decisions together. You take votes online. Well, you know I can tell you about it, but Thomas is here, so let's hear from him. Thomas Beatty coming down to the basement. And coming down the stairs to the basement, Thomas Beatty. How are you, man? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so glad that you're here to talk about Valio. And I always pronounce it wrong, but tell me about the name. How did you come up with the name? It's a phonetic play on voting portfolio. Awesome. And this is a way for investment clubs to get together. Tell me a little bit about your origin story. I love to hear about how founders come up with the ideas for some of their products. Thomas, did you were you part of an investment club and it was a pain in the butt or what happened? Well, I'll tell you that I was actually part of a failed investment club. We okay. never got off the ground because at that time it was too difficult to get one of these things together. And we wanted to change all of that. In the wake of the financial crisis, our founder thought that there was a lack of trust in the market that could be fixed if people were able to work collaboratively with those that they know and trust. So the idea for Volio was born several years later when mobile became uh, the dominant way for people to communicate. We found an opportunity to create a platform that would allow them to get together on their own terms. And uh, for the past several years, we've been working on uh, the Volio platform making it possible for people to learn about investing in a collaborative environment in both a simulated context through our Simutrader and now across America through our live Volio platform. Awesome. So walk me through it. So I go to myvolio.com or I, I suppose I download the app? That's correct. Yeah. If you grab the Volio app, you'll be able to create your team right away. It is meant for, for groups, although individual accounts have been enabled and we're able to take these groups, you invite your friends, you pick some rules, and at that point, the app takes over. Each of you completes your own registration. You're all equal members of a, of a team and you can all propose, discuss, and vote on trades in person if you like to get together or wherever you are if you uh, happen to be in different cities. And the good thing about that is that you're splitting a single trading commission when you trade, so it's lower cost. You build more diversified portfolios as a team, which means you've got lower risks, and you benefit from the wisdom of your collective intelligence. So hopefully, you make better decisions. And we've had some great stats on that so far. Do you find that most people uh, get together, Thomas, or do most people just do all the work online? More and more people are working through their clubs online, reacting in real time. But we find because these people have a common social web, they're already family, friends, neighbors, colleagues, they are getting together and able to further their discussions and come up with uh, more of their objectives in, in that way. But they're, they're able to react as and when they are and, uh, and to make those trading decisions at uh, any hour of the day in or outside of market hours. When you said you have a simulated trading system too, tell me about that. 
Yeah, Simutrader is something that we rolled out as a way to ensure that our platform was safe and secure and to test some of the more unique features. One of the fun things about collaboratively investing and working together with a group is that you're, you're making club decisions, but we're tracking for you, for you to learn each of the decisions that you wanted to make. So if you propose buying Tesla and the group votes you down and several months later Tesla's up by 20%, you can lock that for the purposes of your score. Now, this is cool because you get to learn from these decisions and you also get to prove to your friends how things would have gone if everyone had listened to you. <laughs> or to choose to ignore it if it went the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, we've all been there too. <laughs> so let's say there is a stock that I wanted. How does the whole voting system work? Tell me about that. Each club can customize their conditions of operation, but our default condition would be that a simple majority would send a trade to market. If we're on a team of seven people, as soon as the fourth person votes yes, that trade automatically gets sent to market for execution. Uh, conversely, if the club votes it down, uh, we don't buy it, but it does track for the rest of us uh, that did propose it and, and vote in favor for our score. And then how do my trades work? I'm assuming that we, we can all pretty easily put money into the account together. Absolutely. In fact, the first feature that our users requested was recurring transfers. We've got exceptional user behavior on this platform with, uh, I think it was 80% of our users contributed funds last month. That's unusual for any brokerage uh, platform. And the number that are setting up recurring contributions are almost half of our users. And it's simple. Users have created an established account with uh, or link with their bank account. And that's how the funds are transferred in. And then are you guys actually the broker? Or is there a different broker like a Charles Schwab or somebody in the background? Like most of the fintech companies out there, we're an introducing broker. So we clear through this same uh, clearing firm called Apex as many of the other prominent self-directed and passive investment platforms uh, such as Robinhood, Wealthfront and Betterment. Gotcha. I think I think they're in, in Dallas, aren't they? You're correct. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. How about that? I got something right. When, when, uh, when I make trades, what do my trading fees look like, Thomas? So clubs are splitting a single $12 commission. Our average team size has got nine people on it at the moment. So it's costing you about a buck and a quarter per person per trade on average. And uh, it only goes down as your team increases in size. And then if I decide to get out of my club, how easy is that? Because we all own these shares together. Uh, you do, but you're able to split off into an individual account or withdraw your pro rata share in cash, less whatever penalty your group may have stipulated at the outset. That uh, could be nothing. It could be $25, $100, or a small percentage of your assets. And again, that's something that the club agrees to up front and can modify uh, with the majority. So it's all about enabling people to make better investment decisions, to form, to exit, to do what they need to do for their own financial future. And then you said you had some statistics around social investing too. Uh, tell me about some of the statistics about people working in teams. I'm really excited about some of this. You know, we, we went on the premise that there was wisdom of crowds. And I don't have enough information to tell you whether or not our users in the long run are going to outperform or underperform the markets. But it isn't about whether you slightly outperform or slightly underperform the markets. With a passive investment strategy and the use of a robo-advisor, your only guarantee is that you're going to slightly underperform the market. You get the market return, less the embedded ETF fees, less the fees of that robo-advisor. On our platform, I'm not sure. What I do know is that the average returns of the clubs is significantly better than the average performance of the individual members. And that's all 
recorded in our droid, the definitive return on investment decision score platform. And that's awesome. That's what we're hoping to see together. People making better decisions, your friends, your family, saving you from a bad trade together, making more intelligent, more diversified portfolios. So if I hear the guy next to me, tell me to get into XYZ stock, cause it's the coolest thing ever. You're telling me that my club might slow me down a little bit. Yes, you may get slowed down a little bit if your uh, friends are trying to save you from making what is a potentially volatile <laughs> investment decision. You should call them uh, wingmen, wingmen, wingwomen, you know? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Anything else I need to know about the platform that I don't know yet? This seems really cool. I belong to an investment club uh, back in the day, and it was really interesting, but it seems like this makes it, even if you meet face-to-face, Thomas, it seems like this makes it a heck of a lot easier. It's a lot easier and it's a lot more fun. I think one of the things that we haven't talked about is the power of the broader community. So because we're we're following decisions and we're monitoring a whole bunch of different clubs, we're able to create a community of informed and empowered investors who have transparency over what other people are doing in a redacted way. And what I mean by that long, confusing sentence is you can get ideas from top investors and you can see their transparent history of performance. You never get to see their wealth. So I'll know that you bought Tesla at X price on Y date, uh, but never how much uh, money you've invested. Oh, that's really cool. So I can kind of look at the top people and see what they're up to. Yes. And it's not a copy trading platform. This is an idea for you. You can research these ideas. You validate them with your trusted peers. It's about you becoming a more empowered investor. The better decisions you make, the earlier you start, the more consistently you invest over the course of your lifetime, the better your financial outcomes. And I'm sure you're not resting. What's, What's next for you guys and for the platform? You know, what's exciting for us is we've got our own platform. We're flicking the switch from our soft launch to live in the coming weeks. We're rolling out a B2B platform. This is really cool. There are a lot of financial institutions out there who don't offer products like this, that don't have a self-directed service, and some that do, that are looking to use the latest and greatest technologies to advance their financial institutions. So for us, these are new channels for customers and users. And for them, they're tools for engagement and customer acquisition. And uh, together, that's a powerful combination. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's exciting. And I can get it on Google Play and on the App Store? Absolutely. We also have a web companion, and uh, you'll be able to get at that as well. Check it out at myvolio.com. Myvolio.com. And if you're walking the dog or you're uh, on the way to work, whatever, we got you covered. Just head to our show notes for today's show at uh, stackingbenjamins.com. Thomas, thanks a lot for explaining it to us today. This is really exciting stuff. Thanks, Joe. Bye for now. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And with all of this talk about frugality and wealth, I've been thinking about something you and I both know is incredibly important. My legacy. You know, what I'll leave behind after I have left this earth. Besides my Harry Potter card collection and my Velvet Elvis rug, I'm going to work hard the rest of my life on reminding people about the miracle of including licorice in your diet. The importance of being kind to your chiropractor and having the discipline to avoid Golden Girls reruns. That Blanche is always stirring up trouble. (laughs) She's just such a scamp. Uh, But seriously, stay away because that'll suck the fun out of your whole week. Those are the major points when it comes to my legacy. Well, that and my amazing knack for trivia. So let's get to it. How much money does it cost for the U.S. Mint to uh, mint a penny? I'll be back with the answer in just a moment.
Support for Stacking Benjamins comes from TurboTax Live. Brand spanking new from TurboTax. Now you can get a personal review of your tax return with a CPA or EA right on your screen. How does it work? Well, you quickly connect to a tax expert via one-way video as often as you need for answers and advice on your taxes while you're working on them. One-way video, Richie, does that mean one way means you can see them, but they can't see you. Oh yeah, that's exactly what that means. So if you're Doug working on your taxes in your underwear, like nobody nobody knows except mom who's constantly creeped out. Yes, yes. <laughs> you can even have an expert review your return before you file, make any necessary changes, and it's all backed with a 100% accuracy guarantee. File with complete confidence. Connect with a TurboTax Live expert today at TurboTaxLive.com slash SB. All right, raise your hand. Do you drive an extra five minutes in traffic to save just a few pennies at the gas pump? Well, when's the last time you spent five minutes trying to save on the big things like auto loans? Lucky for you, we brought in Nick Clements from Magnify Money with a few tips on saving money if you find yourself financing a car. If you're buying a new car, there's really no better deal than the 0% financing that would be offered by the manufacturer. The issue really starts to happen if you don't qualify for the manufacturer's financing or you're buying a used car. And in those cases, I, I think it's a very good idea to always shop online and get a low rate before you walk onto the lot. Uh, chances are high that the dealer will beat it, but if you don't walk onto the lot with a low rate to begin with, you know you won't get the best deal. Thanks, Nick. More than just auto loans, Magnify Money's the perfect spot for reviewing just how well or not your checking and savings accounts are performing. You might just decide to switch banks. And guess what? Why stick with just one bank at all when you can use magnifymoney.com to always find best in class stuff? Stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Average person saves $450 in interest when they go there. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Hey, trivia nerds, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and what a day. I love thinking about my legacy. What kinds of tidbits will I leave behind to help the youth of tomorrow? There's so many. I don't even know where to start. I think we should all focus on that, shouldn't we? Things like be nice to your elders, especially the ones in El Caminos, or eat your vegetables, except lima beans, because, God, that's just disgusting. You know, important stuff like that. But here's something important to all of us. Today's trivia answer, and here's the question one more time. How much money does it cost for the U.S. Mint to mint a penny? If you said 2.41 cents, that would make you Joe's mom's favorite for the day. I think the U.S. Mint could leave a legacy by maybe not making money that's losing money. But hey, that's just me, your standard everyday genius. See ya. You were off by... A smidge, or as OG says, if he were here by a skosh. <laughs> I wanted to go down in flames, man. 75 cents, Jonathan said. That would have been quite a, well, we have quite too, a national deficit. Well, we could have, we have a national deficit, Jonathan, and you probably went there thinking. I was trying to fix it. That's obviously <laughs> something we can fix. And Lampenzo, you said eight cents, which is, you know, compared to Jonathan, you're in the ballpark. I tried to yes, anchor you, Len, helping you out. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it light a bone. <laughs>
You've been throwing them under the bus John, the whole I night. Was still someone an has order to look of out magnitude for less than you. I was an order of magnitude less than you. Yeah. <laughs> Eight cents. But Paula Pant, you even guess and you get it right. And it just makes me sick. Two cents, you said. <laughs> That's right. So my guess, I guessed that it cost more than a penny to manufacture a penny. But it couldn't be too significantly more because otherwise penny production would be halted. So that was why I guessed two cents. And what's what the deal? Exactly do you buy with a penny these days? <laughs> Nothing. Like practically? Well, I don't even pick up. I don't even stop to pick it up. I th- do you I stop think to having, pick up a penny? I don't. I think having digital pennies makes a lot of sense. And so in like digital transactions, having things rounded to one cent increments makes sense. You know, and that's probably why we still have physical pennies is because we have also have them di- digitally. Canada got rid of the penny several years ago. There's no more pennies in Canada. And so progressive. (laughs) (laughs) I did a poll like two weeks ago on my website. I asked what would be the smallest coin you would bend over to pick up if you saw it on the street. I think it was only 40%. I was over a thousand responses. Only 40% said they'd pick up a penny. Wow. So 60% said they wouldn't. I'd probably go for a dime. I've been known to drop for a nickel. Penny, not gonna happen. Mm. Yeah, gotta be a quarter. Gotta be a quarter for me. I would. Well, be. I would pick up a penny if it was heads up, but not for the money because it was a good <laughs> luck charm. I think the takeaway, the takeaway from that whole thing was Jonathan saying, "I'd be willing to bend over for a nickel." And I just <laughs> <laughs> not, not even sure what that means. But hey, good for you, man. I don't know what to do with that. I'm, I'm, I'm horribly embarrassed. Good for you. Which leads us to my next next line. Oh, oh, oh. Guess what, guys? Looks like somebody needs help. All three of those O's are sponsored by Bloom Smart Simple 401k Management. If you've got a 401k, remember how frustrating it was deciding what to invest in without professional help? Now there's a better way to grow your 401. Bloom with three O's is simple, smart, and affordable way to grow your 401. If you head online to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Bloom to find out more. I've been doing that wrong. What the hell am I doing, Len? Here we go. Go online to stackybenjamins.com forward slash SB. No, you got to say Benjamins. We just said it. There we go. To find out more with SB. No. With Bloom. You can simply connect your existing 401k to a few easy steps and sit back and relax while Bloom performs an unbiased analysis of the funds in your account. And by the way, even if you don't hire them, they'll still do this. They'll still do that for you. So Bloom's so simple. In fact, the hardest part about this, remembering there's three O's in Bloom, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Bloom and enter promo code. Here you go. Now you got it. BS. (laughs) (laughs) Someday. For your first month free and see the difference Bloom could make in your retirement today. All that. That's exhausting. Uh, we got Bloom's not exhausting. That uh, We love Bloom. Interface with uh, Mr. Penza. Absolutely. Uh, we're we're going to help out Curtis today. Say hello, Curtis. Hey, Joe, Paula, Lynn, and Jonathan. This is Curtis from New Mexico. Got a question about HSAs. My wife had an HSA at her job last year and transferred to a new job, which also offered an HSA. Then when we moved to New Mexico last July, she got another job with a different hospital that also offered an HSA. So we now have three separate HSA accounts. My question is, what is the best or simplest 
way to combine these HSAs into a single account? And is there an option by doing this so that we can invest in the HSA into index funds and like do the HSA hacking, as I've heard on the Afford Anything in the Stacking Benjamins podcast before? <laughs> I appreciate the help. Happy Friday to all of you. Thanks. Bye. Nice job. Thank you, Curtis. Thanks a lot. And uh, Jonathan, you're the guest. Uh, so HSAs, you love HSAs, man. So tell me, what do you think? Yeah, I love HSAs and he is right to want to consolidate. I was actually thinking about this ahead of time. I'm in the exact same position. My wife had an HSA, which we maxed out for the last couple of years. And I guess you guys have already talked about this in detail, but just the, the short and sweet is you can get it. You can get your money into it pre-tax it will grow tax-free and you can pull it out tax-free as long as it's being used for medical expenses. There's a couple tips that are built into this. You do need to track those medical expenses. And I've been thinking about that process because frankly, I just didn't do a very good job tracking it. But in order to bring that money out tax-free, you really do need to track all your receipts. And what I did originally was upload them to the provider that my wife's HSA was with. So through her employer, they had a provider but now that she's no longer with that company, we are looking to transfer it out. So we're kind of in the same situation as him. And as a result of this process, I've realized that while I can transfer the HSA account, I am not going to be able to get access to all of those finely tuned organized receipts. So the actionable tip here is do this on your own through an Excel sheet, maybe a Google Drive, take pictures of your receipts, match them up to a line on your Excel, and then just upload them to the cloud. I think that is the simplest way because likely, even if the interface has a very clean, intuitive system and allows you to upload your receipts, when you move it, they are not gonna be so kind to port that over for you. I've been looking into providers, and the one that I am looking into moving for my wife is called Lively, haven't done it yet, but it's actually on my radar now. Uh, they charge, I believe, like $2.50 a month for the HSA, which is an incredibly low fee for HSAs. They go all the way up to like $5 a month, which really isn't that bad. But when your money's just sitting there, and at least right now you're not adding anything to it, you kind of want it as low as possible. Now, the Lively, which is at livelyme.com, they give you access to, I believe, the TD Ameritrade platform. Uh, so you can get access to index funds through that. So that's kind of my general framework and I guess anything else to add to that? Len, Len, do you have an HSA at work? I have the option for an HSA. I do not take advantage of the HSA, but uh, yeah, they're very valuable. They're, they're good, good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. And there's good ways you can cheat those things too. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second though, Len. What do you mean by that? Well, I, okay. So I've heard my friends at, at work talk about this. So what the main thing that I've heard, heard them do is because I guess when you have an expense on an HSA, and, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not the total expert on this, but let's say you have a medical expense in year one, or let's say 10 years ago you had a medical expense. As long as you keep those receipts, you can claim that medical expense 10 years in the future. So what they do is they'll go off and, and they will actually pay with their medical expenses like on a credit card that gives you bonus points and stuff. And then they'll get the credit for the on the credit card bonus points. And then maybe five years down the road or 10 years down the road, they need that money for something else. They'll pull the money out of the HSA and they'll actually get to have that money. But then they got the bonus points five years ago from the credit card. So, I mean, it's just kind of a way to cheat. You know, I don't know if it's cheating, but it's, you know, you take advantage of it. Jonathan? 
Can I, yeah, let me add one more thing onto that, like play that out. I know an individual in my community that managed over a period of like five or six years to get a hundred grand in her HSA for her and her family. She got a hundred grand in there. Now she has that invested in an index fund. So it's over the, you know what the market's done over the last several years, 15, 20%, like that is seriously non-trivial money. And all she does, and that is just, and she doesn't need it at this point as part of her cash flow. So she's able to put this money in her accounts, pre-tax, maxing it out year after year for her family. At this point, the returns are pretty impressive, but she's not drawing on it. She's doing exactly what Lynn said. She's using her normal spending to cover all of her bills and she's tracking her receipts. At some point down the road over the next 20, 30 years, she will be able to draw out as long as she can aggregate the totals at the bottom of that Excel file, she can legitimately draw out 20, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 dollars in medical expenses without having to pay a dime in tax. And likely because most of this at this point is capital gains, all of her principal is basically there. So she is just crushing it. And talk about just figuring out the healthcare situation. That is as close to a perfect scenario as you can imagine if you can get this thing front loaded early on. Yeah, Paula? Yeah, uh, that's exactly what I'm going to say. So the advantage is not only that you get the credit card bonus points for paying your medical expenses with a, a card, but also I think the bigger advantage is that as long as your money stays inside of your HSA account, it continues to grow tax deferred. So if you think about it logically, why would you remove money that would otherwise grow tax deferred when you could instead just pay from your ordinary income and allow money, assuming that you have the cash for it, budgetary restrictions would be the only reason why you would choose otherwise. But assuming that you have no budgetary restrictions, pay with ordinary income, let your money continue to grow tax deferred, and you could take that all the way up until you're 65 plus if you wanted to. So this is what I do with my HSA. I pay for all of my health-related expenses, my qualified medical expenses with ordinary income. And then, Jonathan, to your point about the importance of record keeping, the way that I have done it is I will take a picture of my receipts, any type of records that I have, and I just have Dropbox folders that are labeled with either my name or Will's name. So the name of the individual, and then the word HSA, and then the calendar year. And so everything through my phone just gets uploaded to that Dropbox folder. Well, question. So one, mm -hmm. one additional thought, and then also a question for you. The first is now the, for the individual that's saying, well, I'm healthy. I'm not going to use all this money. If I end up with 300, $400,000 in HSA at, mm -hmm. at 60 years old, I, that sounds like a bad idea, but no, it's still a good thing. Cause in the worst possible case scenario, it basically just reverts to essentially like a 401k. You have to draw it out and pay taxes on it. If you didn't use it for medical expenses, but it still went in pre-tax and it still grew. Right. Tax it still so grew tax deferred, a, right? Yeah. So it's still winning, even if you are healthy and you don't ever need to use this. And then my question for you and my point is that play this out. Let's say you do have significant medical expenses and you have 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 receipts, 7,000 receipts, receipts over the next 20 years. Do you really want to go back in each year and open the receipt to see the dollar amount? Like that's the only thing that I had to deal with now because I wanted to draw some money out you don't want to go open up those receipts individually. So I think it's probably worth it, at least on an annual basis, to get all those receipts on one summary Excel sheet. That way you just don't need to go back. Just for the, save the mental space for something else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You could make a practice of doing that once a year. Or one thing that I did when I was in a situation, it was for a home renovation, but I had a whole bunch of receipts and I didn't want to go through and tally it up. So I hired a VA in the Philippines to do it. Done. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And it was literally, it was hundreds and hundreds of receipts. And for five bucks an hour, he just tallied them all up for me. 
Hashtag pro tip. Paul, I would have done it for three bucks an hour. <laughs> all right. I'll hire you next time. She would have time. paid you in nickels. <laughs> yeah, I would have paid I'm you in Joe's pennies ta- that I scatter all over the floor. I'm doing Joe's taxes now, too. Did you know that? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, from 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 last week. Paula missed that whole thing. I thought that's right. Yeah. Len Paula's on this train wreck. She missed that train wreck. (laughs) So we're good. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Curtis. If you've got a question for the show, head to stackybenjamins.com and at the top of the page, you'll see questions for the show. Just click that link and you'll see all the ways that you can interface with us. That's going to do it for today, guys. Thanks so much for playing. Jonathan, holy cow. You made it through your first time on Stacking Benjamins. Mom's very proud. Mom is very, very proud. We'll get back to you in a second. And uh, find out for the three people that don't know what Choose FI is all about. We'll talk about that. But Len Penzo, what's going on at LenPenzo.com, man? Oh, it's, I don't know. There's just, uh, <laughs> there's always something going Random on. Random hilarity. You got nothing to do on a Saturday. Stop on by my uh, black coffees every Saturday. Serving it up at LenPenzo.com. You get a little glimpse into the bunker and uh, my thought process for that kind of stuff. So, uh Come on by. You keep talking about get having a cup of Joe on your black coffee. And I'm like, stop talking about me, man. <laughs> I'm over here. Right. <laughs> Paula Pant, what's happening at that uh, Afford Anything podcast and website? On the Afford Anything podcast, we have an interview with Vicki Robin, the author of Your Money or Your Life and the, uh, the OG of financial independence. So uh, she and I chat about death, aging, and the thing that is even more important to her than financial independence. Did you just uh, call her the OG? I, I totally did. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about OG. I, I was like, OG would gangster. have a problem with uh, Yeah, right, right. Yeah. OG's like, She's, what? Uh, the Queen Elizabeth of financial independence. OG's like, I leave for one week and look at what happens. All of a sudden, Paula's <laughs> kicking me to the curb for Vicky Robin. But I take that trade in a hurry, by the way, Paula. But anyway. <laughs> so that is on the Afford Anything podcast. We also have interviews with Dr. Brad Klontz, a financial psychologist who talks about psychological hangups about money, ideas that we have about money that aren't serving us and that cause us to self-sabotage. Uh, so we have that, and we also have an interview with Morgan Housel, a former columnist for The Motley Fool and The Wall Street Journal. Awesome. And we will link to all that on our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Jonathan, you guys at Choose FI have so much fun. If I could have your fun, I'd burn mine. <laughs> I, I don't I, <laughs> I, I don't even know what that means. I don't it sounds either. amazing. <laughs> I love how you put words together to make sentences. <laughs> I, Every once in a while, it comes out to be coherent. That one didn't, but hey. But tell everybody about Choose FI that doesn't know what the heck you guys do there, because it is awesome. Yeah, I mean, we're just trying to build this life optimization strategy to just kind of what does it look like to get a little bit better every single day and learn something every day. We just felt like Stacking Benjamins was was leaving this hole and all these people that didn't learn anything were, were trying to fill it in the next day. So uh, we said that looks like an opportunity. Let's do that. But uh, this upcoming week, we've got uh, Michelle from Making Sense Out of Sense showing people how to make $100,000 a month in blogging. Can I get an amen? Isn't that amazing? uh, (laughs) I didn't say amen, uh, but that is incredible. It is. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, honestly, it's twofold. One, the world is really, really changing, and that has implications for people that are going six figures in student loan debt. And I hope that we can find solutions for that. But the other opportunity is it's never been easier to make money from your living room. And 
if you find people that have done it and learn what you can from them, there's a window there as well. I think absolutely it's a conversation worth hearing. We are finally doing a Bitcoin episode. I have kicked that can down the road as long as is physically possible, trying to avoid it. But finally coming up on April 23rd, we are going to be doing a Bitcoin episode. And lastly, and this is one I'm incredibly excited about is Ryan Carson is coming on to talk about Treehouse. And basically it is a trade school for programmers. Did you know that there are 1.3 million jobs that need to be filled by programmers each year? And only 400,000 of those are being filled by the academics, by colleges. And so there's this 900,000 job gap in America alone for programmers. This is a massive opportunity and he has a solution and it's brilliant. Len, there's something to do in your free time right there. You got it. You can be- there. become a programmer. Program, program and wait to die and watch <laughs> Golden Girls or whatever. Grey's Anatomy. Anatomy. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you will always have Grey's Anatomy, Len. <laughs> well, thanks for hanging out with us, man. It's fantastic. I'm going to link to Choose FI on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com if you're walking the dog or out uh, for your morning run, whatever it might be. All right, guys. Uh, Doug, what should we have learned, man? Take it from here. Sure thing, Joe. I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. You just get back to that binge watching of the Golden Girls, but don't say I didn't warn you about Blanche. I'm telling you. Anyway, hey, everybody. Here's what we should have learned today. First, looking for tips on frugality. Adopting a frugal lifestyle might be easier if you're rich. But it certainly matters equally whatever station in life you hold today. Second, thinking about forming an investment club? Technology can be your friend. But the big lesson? Don't watch Golden Girls with Joe's mom. She talks through all the funniest parts. Can't shut that woman up. Special thanks to Jonathan Mendonza from Choose FI for joining us today. You'll find the Choose FI podcast wherever you hear my voice right now. No, not in your basement. The app on your phone. Jeez, do I have to spell everything out for you? Wow. Thanks to Thomas Beatty for joining us. You can check out Volio on Google Play or in the iPhone App Store and at myvolio.com. That's M-Y-V-O-L-E-O.com. Len Penzo appears courtesy of lenpenzo.com. Paula Pant appears courtesy of affordanything.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I do not like computer jokes. Not one bit. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor.
Welcome to the after show. Jonathan, this is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens in the after show stays here. So just remember that now that you're experiencing the after show. Oh, it is inside the vault, my friend. <laughs> there it is. I'm not sure what that means either. <laughs> <laughs> well, that has to stay in this segment. Is that where It'll the cost you a nickel? That'll cost you a nickel. <laughs> is, it, is the vault is, is is the vault where the nickels go when you've been? <laughs> I, no, no I don't know. <laughs> but let's talk about. I just had I just had a road trip in which I went to this crazy town called Las Vegas. And I talked a little bit about that before, but we talked, Paula, Mm -hmm. about the fact that you and I were going to go to an escape room and we actually did it. And we did it with former contributor Greg McFarlane Mm -hmm. uh, and his girlfriend and uh, my son, Nick. And well, do do you want to do you want to talk about this particular train wreck or have me do it? (laughs) So the escape room, the theme of this particular escape room was mansion murder and the concept was that your name is Robert Montgomery and you are at a family party when you realize that your father has just been murdered. You are the heir to the family fortune and that makes you the prime suspect. But you didn't do it. You suddenly realize you've been locked in a room. You have an hour to figure out who did it and get out of the room. Go. And so to uh, cut to the chase... Uh, we, we did not get out of the room. My favorite we, part. We neither figured out who done it, nor did we got, get out of the room. My, fav- gone, gone. my favorite part, which is no surprise, uh, Betty and I stood around and kind of like everything that I was pursuing was a red herring. It was nothing. I was able to figure out how these two gears went on this table. That was pretty much my thing. But, but, and Paula was the person like connecting people and connecting stuff. Like, I think this might go with this, this might go with this. And then we had our two math brains, Greg and Nick, who were figuring out the math stuff. And, uh, my favorite part was the hour ends and the escape room people come in. And the first thing they say to us is, so did you make it to the third room? And we said, there was a third room. <laughs> Which is never the answer you're looking for, apparently. <laughs> and then they walked us through the solution. And there were so many additional steps that we would have had to solve. Like we we thought like, oh, maybe, maybe we were just like one puzzle away from solving. <laughs> we this. Were... Oh no. We were like maybe at the halfway point charitably. Yeah. Wow. We so were failed so badly. Many, do you think yeah. Too many cooks spoil the broth. It, could it be that you're, you'd be better off if it was just two of you in there or three? I, but you, you know, can I, get broken on one puzzle. Like if you'll get if you're just trying to solve this one thing, then you'll just get locked in there. Mm. Yeah, I can't remember. I say this with all the wealth of experience from my one escape room that I did <laughs> solve. Did the no, eight ball predict you would do you it? Are, I think let Len, you're on to something because that was my second time doing an escape room, and the first time that I did it, I did it with just one other person. And so she and I were able to solve it, but I, you know, I do think that when you've got five people and everyone's working on something a little bit different and there's not a lot of coordination that can slow things down. I wasn't able to, I wasn't, I'm with you, Paula. I wasn't able to follow the storyline. Like somebody would find something over here and I didn't even see it. All of a sudden they're handing me this thing going, Hey, I found another (laughs) block. Right. And then we're writing the block. My job's to write what it says on the block on this board, which by the way, flipping irrelevant. Didn't matter. Yeah. Everything I did didn't matter. So they're like, Joe, why don't you write this stuff on the blackboard? Oh, okay, I'll write it. <laughs> Give the guy with a little brain, put him did to work. Did, did you try to fake the guy out when he came in the room and said, okay, we know who did it. Yeah, we know who did it. It was 
blah, 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 blah. Yes. No, we pointed at him. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. Give us a refund. Yeah, no, I had I had no idea. What was your, Len, have you done an escape room? No, I would love to do one, though. I would love to do one, but I, no, I have not. I got to tell you, Paula talked me into it. I mean, it wasn't hard. I'm like, she's like, escape room. I'm like, okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, twist <laughs> my arm. So fun? Yeah, and it was. It was a blast. Jonathan, did you like yours? I did. Yeah, it was a wizard-themed one. I think it wasn't Hogwarts. I think it was Pigwarts, which is Hogwarts' esteemed sibling. Pigwarts. Oh, yeah, I Pigwarts. get it. No, that's yeah. the rival. <laughs> that's the rival school. Rival school. Yes. That's right. Pigwarts. That's right. Yep. It was very thematic. I was incredibly impressed. Like they had like hand carved out of styrofoam the walls and painted them to look like a stone, you know, stone overlay. And then you had these wizard's wands, and they had like this magnetic tip. And uh, you would point it at something like they had like these electronic windows that when you touch the right sensor, suddenly it became transparent and gave you letters and there were cogs and there were wheels and there were rooms. And I was blown away. I, I was looking for a wizard's hat and there was not one, but everything else was totally in play. I kind of agreed and to, to Jonathan's point, Paula. I agree with what my son Nick said. Well, when we finished, he's like, my brain is just starting to like get into this gear of knowing, like, it's almost like you want to play the first time as a warm up, and then go mm -hmm. back and do the second one immediately. Cause I think you're going to do way better the second time. Yeah. Like you, you kind of need to start to think in the way that the game room designers think. Yeah. And so it does take, it takes at least one play to figure out how that process works. I didn't realize that everything mattered. Like everything mattered. There was the, you walked in and there was a roaring fireplace, which Jonathan, to your point was really, the theme in our room was really cool. I just thought, I, I didn't expect that level of detail. I'm in a strip well, you know mall. What, I mean, I know what a fan of board games you are. I'm looking at it right here. I have an equal, maybe about two thirds of that size wall at my house. And you're inside the board game. You're you are. Inside. It was so cool. <laughs> but I didn't expect we're at the strip mall. We got these uh, kind of kids helping us who are, you know, on a level of professionalism between one and 10 or probably about a three and a half, maybe mm -hmm. four. So I wasn't expecting much. And we walk into this room that is just decked out i mean yeah. there's this fireplace and and this piano and you know the i don't know it was it was really really well done yeah absolutely and you know actually one of the the first thoughts that struck me the first time that i did it i was like dude if i were in high school i would love this job like <laughs> what a fun job to work at an escape room and to hang out with a bunch of other kids who are also about your same age and into playing games and solving mysteries that would be the coolest high school job. See, to me, the, the coolest high school job would be creating the mysteries and figuring uh, out how to make it. That's it's like I said, in my Dungeons and Dragons days, I was the dungeon master. I, I prefer to be the dungeon master. So there's people that are cool enough to play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> Is the bar here? Is that the bar? And then there's Len Penzo. He doesn't have to jump over the bar, Jonathan. He doesn't have to try. He just walks over the bar. When you're the dungeon master. So you went to bed with the dungeon master's manual, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I, I, I would spend a whole weekend creating a, a scenario for my group. Oh, my God. So I'm at a board game convention. I'm, I'm at a board game convention and I walk into this room and it's not just board games. There's also people playing role-playing games and all kinds of different games, train games, like in these miniature games. So they have like these big boards set up and like these, these battles going on the board and it just all these levels of geekery and I'm loving the whole thing. And I walk into this room and there's this dude going, there's this guy who's dressed up in this hairy thing 
and there's some guy in chainmail with like a foam sword and he keeps swinging it and then he goes hit 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 and the dude in the hairy thing's going and he's going back and forth and there's a guy in the back of the room going lightning bolt plus four lightning bolt plus four lightning bolt and i walked into that room and i'm like yeah there's just too far (laughs) there's a line i don't know where it is but you know it when you see it like i I was okay with all this stuff until i walked into this room and i'm like yeah i can't do that and good for you that you can but i can't yeah but but yeah that was that was funny anyway good stuff guys where they talk about some of the pressures that uh more affluent kids have to face sorry (laughs) this is on one track and i'm (laughs) and i'm trying to breathe wine and i can't do it if you if you can go back one sentence and start again oh my god you're drinking wine len's drinking beer i'm drinking green juice (laughs) oh this is my first time i didn't do it i didn't want to oh come on i was too nervous well (laughs) me too i didn't know what the basement was gonna look like there it is Quick tangent. So on these roundtables, everybody else is always drinking alcohol, and I'm constantly drinking either water or like a very healthy kale smoothie. All right, I'll bring my kale smoothie next time. <laughs> there it is. That green stuff is not Paula's water out of the tap. Tristan. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw that. Hold that up again. So this is the uh, two parts kale to one part spinach with two scoops of protein powder in it with a water <laughs> base. Just for flavor. Mine is, <laughs> mine is uh, two parts grape, two parts water. <laughs> right. It's a smoothie. It's a grape smoothie. It's fruit juice. It's yeah. fermented fruit juice. All right, Paula. Sorry about that. Okay. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.